What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? How can we live the truth of this out in our everyday lives? In this series, you will be challenged to not just claim Christianity, but to operate in the power of Christ's name. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here with you. Um, I, as I said, at Living Streams, um, that's where Nathan Bentley used to work um, before he stole him from us. Um, actually, we, we think about LifePoint, we think about Nathan, we think about what the Lord's done out here, and everyone just is always so happy, so thrilled, um, so encouraged, uh, so built up by um, our relationship and what we're able to do get together. Um, Nathan is actually preaching at Living Streams. I, we're doing a series called We is Greater Than Me. Um, and I've just loved so much hearing Nathan over the years talk about, you know, raw honesty and, and groups and how important it is to have guys in your life. So I actually instigated him going to preach over there. So sorry about that. Um, but he was like, hey, you want to swap? And I said, sure. And then he's like, oh, yeah, we have a 4 a.m. service or something. And I, I was like, what? No, actually 8 a.m. So he texted me this morning and he was like, don't forget I have, we have an 8 a.m. service. I was like, yeah, you can go back to bed now because I'm already driving. So he still might not be up. No, he's, he's already there. He's preaching. He's just finishing one service now. Um, but yeah, we, we, we do want to be together. We want to get to know each other and do life together. We have our men's retreat. A lot of us get to know each other that way. Um, I know you guys started, uh, stepped out and, did, and are putting together a women's retreat, and we've joined in on that. And so it's kind of just keeps growing and growing. A lot of mission stuff we've been together. Um, I've gotten to go and uh, meet a bunch of you guys actually in Belize. Uh, one when I lived there, but also just taking trips down there. So it's been, it's been fun to, to walk together. Um, in, in relationship. Um, today we're going to be in Acts chapter 15. If you want to grab a Bible or a phone or something and turn there. Um, Acts chapter 15. Who, who here really likes fried chicken? I mean like really likes it. Yeah. Who here really, really likes broccoli? I mean like really likes it. What is wrong with you people? Are you serious? I was not expecting that. There's way more broccoli lovers than fried chicken lovers in this place. Santan is messed up. That is proof right there. Anyways, anyways, well, never mind the show of hands. Um, I was thinking you guys would probably like fried chicken better. This message is much more of a broccoli message, which is going to be great for most of you. Um, but it, it's, it's one that I actually didn't... I, when, when we were going to swap, I had a message that I wanted to share. And as Nathan and I corresponded a little bit, um, he, was, he actually said, I just finished Acts 14 last week. And if you would like, that would be great for you to do Acts 15. Um, but, but go ahead and do whatever. And, and I just knew in that moment that because I had just preached Acts 15 and, and, and I just thought, oh, man, I got to do Acts 15 again. Um, and, and the, the reason that it's troubling is because Acts 15 is literally all about conflict. Um, the first church, as you guys have been tracking through the book of Acts, um, it was amazing. It was awesome. I mean, Jesus had just left, which was, which was troubling. But these, these guys and these girls that had walked with him, they, they were gathered together. They're in an upper room. The Spirit of God comes in a way that, that has never been experienced before on the earth. The, the empowering of God's Spirit in that way. 
the baptism of the Spirit, and, and then they begin to walk from that moment, and, and you know, just the first time Peter preaches, 3,000 people get saved and baptized, and then a couple days later, 5,000, and so the church is just growing, and they're meeting in Solomon's colonnade, which is right next to the temple, and, and it says that the way that they were loving each other and the way that they were meeting together, even the priests started to join them and become obedient to the faith in Christ. I mean, it was just amazing. And the signs and wonders, I mean, you guys have talked a lot about this stuff, and it began to spread outside of Jerusalem. Um, really neat things. But then all of a sudden in Acts chapter 15, the greatest threat hits the church, and it's the threat of division. There were essentially two camps that were, that were formed, very dogmatic, intense um, camps that were, that were forming underneath the surface, and it comes to a head in Acts chapter 15. So this, this message really is, is addressing division, conflict, frustration, confusion. And if you've been paying attention to our, our nation at all, you know that there is a deep kind of underlying sense of division and frustration and conflict. Um, if you've done life together with people here at the church, you know that it's only a matter of time to where all of a sudden, um, as the Bible would say it in Acts 15, there's a sharp dispute. Um, Nathan, I listened to the message he preached last week, and I don't, it, just, it was like an underlying joke he had in the message of it being so cold in here or something in the Sunday morning service. I was like, there you go, man. People are even upset about the temperature situations. Can't even get agreement there. But there's all kinds of reason for us to come into some sort of conflict and then divide. But the call of Christ on our lives is that when conflict comes, we turn into each other instead of away from each other. And uh, I'm gonna read James chapter four, just the beginning here real quick, um, as we kinda get a taste for what, what, um, what we're gonna jump into in Acts 15. James four, James was the leader of that first church. He became the leader of, of the church that we see in the book of Acts, and we'll see him play a prominent role in Acts 15. But he was also the half-brother of Jesus, and he's also pretty well known, if you've read his book much, that he was a big-time jerk. All right, so he's very heavy on people. He's direct, he's to the point. If you've read the book of James, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't read the book of James, build yourself up, go with a friend, and then read the book. Um, James chapter four. What causes fights and quarrels among you, James says? They come from your desires that battle within you. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God, and when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. This is, there you go. <laughs> Thanks, James. A lot of fun there. But what he's basically saying is all of the conflict and turmoil that you experience, you think is because of someone else. But the truth is, if you are honest with yourself, all of that turmoil and all of that conflict is coming from inside you. You're not getting what you want, so you throw a tantrum. They're not giving you what you want, so you have a sharp dispute. When you're driving down the road and someone cuts you off, all of those feelings that come out of you we're not put there by the person who cut you off. 
The person who cut you off just by chance ripped off that thin layer of protection that you had been stuffing it all down in. But it's, it's, it's in you. You are the problem, <laughs> is what James is saying. Don't start looking around at other people and saying, the reason I'm experiencing confusion or tension or conflict or you know, opportunities for division are because other people are doing these things. He said, no, it's all about you. The greatest threat to the we is the me. C.S. Lewis, who is not quite as mean as James, but, but a bit snarky, he says it this way. I think we have the quote up there, yeah. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable, because to love is to be vulnerable. If you're going to love, if you're going to even try, if you're going to connect with anyone at any time, your heart will probably be wrung, he says. And possibly, I might even say probably, be broken at some point. First service, I met a couple, married 56 years. And I asked them in front of everybody, I was like, your heart been wrung a couple times? And they were like, yeah. Even, even by the one you've been married to? Yeah. Possibly broken? Yeah. Maybe this morning? No, I don't, don't answer that. Don't answer that. <laughs> it's a reality. Relationship, community, unity, connection, it's dangerous. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, who is a guy who was good with words, he said, I do not wish to treat friendships daintily, but with the roughest courage. When they are real, they are not glass threads or frost work, but the solidest thing we know. In order to stay married for 56 years or more, in order to have the kind of connection, unity, fellowship that God wants for us, that Christ died on a cross to make possible for us, it's going to take rough courage, the roughest courage. Conflict is not supposed to be something that we turn away from. But instead, when conflict arises, we should muster up that rough courage and reach into each other, turn towards each other. That's the call of God on our lives. And just to round things out, this is Bob Marley. He says, the truth is, everyone is going to hurt you. You just got to find the ones we're suffering for. <laughs> and it's true. It's absolutely true. And what the Bible would say is everyone's worth suffering for because Jesus Christ himself decided he would suffer for each and every one of us. 
There isn't one person Christ didn't die for. Even Judas, he handed his broken body and his shed blood in communion. He handed him the bread. He handed him the cup. Judas, in the room, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body and my blood for you, Judas. You are worth it to me. I was just talking to Chad. I don't know if he's in here or not. But uh, he was telling me that he's put a lot of time and energy and money into trying to get a group home going. And he's had one kid. And I said, well, was it worth it? And he was like, yes. And he said he was talking to his wife about it. He said, what if God had us do all of this, all of those tens of thousands of dollars, all of this time, all of this energy for one kid to get loved on? And we both were joking, like, that's totally something God would do. He lavishly loves us. He thinks we're all worth suffering for and asks us to think the ones around us are worth suffering for as well. But anyway, so that's the situation. That's the call on our lives. That's the challenge. That's the conflict. Um, after teaching this message, it was funny just because it was in my mind. I was paying attention to my own conflicts in my life. And, uh, you know, right after church, I went and played basketball with some guys and got into some conflict. <laughs> um, that ultimately, like, it was so funny because it was such little stuff, but, like, it was so disturbing that one of the guys like felt he needed to call me later and say hey I need to talk about this and that was like okay this is silly but it's good because we want you know we don't want things to get in there and mess things up and um, later on I was um, had some guy come up to me and be like hey are we good are we good? And I was like, man, I, I tell people to start addressing conflict, and for some reason they all come to me. You know, it's like, am I really that bad? Um, I feel a bit like Pigpen, you know, like the Charlie Brown guy who's got the dirt all around him all the time. It's like, here, I'm a pastor. Let me help you. Oh, sorry about that and just left you all muddy. Um, but, but anyways, um, then the very next conversation I had was with a guy who said, after 25 years, um, he felt like the Lord was asking him to confront his brother who sexually abused him when they were kids. And he, and he wasn't wanting to do it, but then he heard the message that I'd shared right after hearing from the Lord on that and felt like he was confirmed, and so he went ahead and did it. He mustered up the roughest courage and went and talked to his brother and said, I, you don't owe me anything. I'm not asking you to do anything, but this is something that I need to do. I want to bring something into the light because I want healing. And I was so proud of him. Conflict can come in many different ways, shapes, or forms. Um, And in in the book of Acts, chapter 15, it comes in this form. Verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia, hey, it's not really Phoenix, but take what I can get. 
And Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. You can really tell those guys are the life of the party there, you know. Like, there's a little conflict, there's a little dispute, people aren't making good. Hey, welcome back, we're glad you're here. The Gentiles must be circumcised, these guys shout out. That's how frustrated we're. Um, The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you test, try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And when they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, James says as the leader of that first church, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from meat from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them they sent the following letter, and the letter just essentially describes what we just read. It's a, it's a letter of resolution. It's a, res, a letter of here we've all come together and we've united around this. And now we're passing it on to you so that you can find resolution from the conflict you're experiencing as well. So this is, this is essentially what happens. If you're a Bible student or, or, or if you've done some sort of seminary, you know Acts 15 is like a huge moment in the church's history. It's the first ecumenical council Um, There's been many ecumenical councils after that. The Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed are creeds that came out of ecumenical councils. That's where there becomes such a sharp division within the body of Christ that the leaders of all the different factions will come together and they will try and hash out in the Lord, in the Spirit, in the Scriptures, with love for each other. They'll try and hash out how can we move forward now. We need to bring some sort of resolution. And so that's what this was. This was the first of those acts of ecumenical council where they came together and they solved one of the problems and then sent it out and said, let's all walk together in this way. And what had happened was the the word of God had, had, had 
built all this really great stuff in Jerusalem, and, and then the, they sent the word of God out to Samaria and Judea, and even starting getting to the uttermost parts of the earth, and, and, uh, and Judea is down below, and Antioch is up above, and, and as Paul and Barnabas are sharing and preaching and teaching among the Gentiles, um, there's a lot of them are, who are receiving the fullness of God, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders, they're becoming obedient to the faith, all the things that would seem to indicate they are experiencing a full salvation, but they're not circumcised. They're not Jewish. They don't follow the works of the law. A lot of them don't even know the works of the law. They're just people. And, and so some other people who were Christians who have believed in Jesus but also believed that circumcision, um, following the works of the law, being Jewish was important for salvation. They were teaching that, yeah, you got to believe in Jesus, but you also got to do these things. And Paul and Barnabas, which is amazing for Paul because he was so steeped in that religion, he was saying, no, it's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. And so there was a big, sharp dispute that they came into. There was frustration, and that frustration was affecting all of the people who were now receiving God. They didn't know which way to go, what to do. And so immediately... Instead of letting it fester and move on or linger, they, they sent Paul and Barnabas back to Jerusalem and said, go and find out what we should do, what we should be teaching so that we can be unified. In this sharp dispute, instead of turning away from each other, they turned into each other. And I'm going to kind of go through four points that, that really kind of identify how the first church to me dealt with this conflict, dealt with these disputes. And I think these four things are very helpful as we're dealing with not just church disputes, but it could be family disputes, relationship disputes, whatever disputes or, or conflict you might be experiencing. The first thing that they did was they acknowledged it early. They acknowledged the conflict early. When they found out they were in sharp dispute, when all of this conf uh, conflict was happening, they didn't just say, oh, we can live with it, it's not a big deal. They actually said, no, this is troubling, we should do something about it. So they sent Paul and Barnabas to go figure it out. Before they wanted Paul and Barnabas to go preach more, they said, no, unity is more important than even us going out and preaching. We gotta have unity above all else. And they acknowledged it early. And acknowledging things early is difficult. Um, I've heard humility described, and I actually did, at first was like, what? But as I process it more and more, I think it makes sense. Humility is being the first person to acknowledge the elephant in the room. And basically what that's saying is humility, it takes great humility to be the first person to say, ow. Because immediately you can look like you're weak. But humility is essentially saying, hey guys, something's wrong. I, I got hurt. Nobody wants to say that. That's very vulnerable to acknowledge. I'm trying to teach my kids all the time right now. They get in all these fights and they get in all these fights. One person gets hurt and so they hurt them. They hurt, hurt, hurt. And it's like, okay, so what happened? And they're like, we don't even know. <laughs> And we dial it back, we dial it back, and eventually it comes down to, well, actually, I kind of got hurt. And the, and the other person will be like, oh, I didn't mean to hurt you. It's like, oh, well, really? 
Yeah, so we could have avoided this next 20 minutes of total confusion if someone would have just said, hey, man, that kind of hurt. But that's a very tough place to be. It takes a lot of humility to be the first one to acknowledge it. But they acknowledged it early. And whatever conflict you might be in, even if it's been 25 years, today is as early as you can be. And you should acknowledge it early. Take that step of humility and say, you know what? I do have a problem. I've been living with something that I don't think I'm supposed to live with. The next thing that they did, they addressed it fully. And you see in that story that, that Paul and Barnabas came down and, and James and Peter and, and these, this group of the Pharisees, people that had been obedient to the faith, and they, they just gathered the whole assembly. They brought everybody. Everybody who's been affected by this, come together. We're going to sit and we're going to talk. And not only did they just have one or two people talk, but sure enough, Paul and Barnabas got to share. Peter got to share. The, the people who wanted the circumcision, they got to share. Um, and then James shared, and he brought in the word of God. It was, they just, they addressed it fully. And some, sometimes we just try and put a Band-Aid on things, or, you know, we'll say, hey, you know, that kind of bothered me one time when he did that. It's no big deal. And the person's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Because you don't want to really address it fully. You don't want to bring it fully into the light. And yet if you don't bring it fully into the light, then it can't be fully healed. You got to bring it fully into the light so that it can be fully healed. And they did that. They acknowledged it early. They addressed it fully. And then they made the word of God a priority. If you notice in there, James, um, after all the conversation went back and forth, James said, the prophets have said to us, to us this. And he quoted a scripture from the Old Testament about how God was going. God's plan is to include the Gentiles in all of this. And so by making the word of God a priority, they figured out which direction God was going. And they said, I think we should go that way. <laughs> Whereas the opposition was saying, for all this time, We've been trying to follow this pattern, this, this burden of the works of the law, and it's not produced anything good in our lives. God has never been with us in this, so maybe we shouldn't go that way anymore, and we shouldn't tell the Gentiles they have to go that way also. Peter said, why do you test God? Why do you challenge God's word? If God's going this direction... Let's go. And Paul and Barnabas were able to confirm, not only does the word of God say that, but as we go this direction, we're seeing the spirit of God do amazing things. They made the word of God a priority. And you might be in a conflict with someone who doesn't know Jesus or doesn't believe in the word of God. That's fine. You can still make the word of God a priority. There's a lot of wisdom in this book. You can't find a conflict in life that isn't in the Bible pretty much. People are a big mess, man. They're all messed up. But the difference is they turned in instead of turned away. The difference is they allowed that conflict to actually produce something in them. They didn't stay in their immaturity and foolishness. They grew from it. So that's the third thing. They acknowledged it early. They addressed it fully. They made the word of God a priority. And then I, I, I kind of went back and forth on the words here, but, but I landed with they solved it considerately. Um, I had solved appropriately, but I like the word considerately there. Because in this conflict, in this turmoil, 
They really considered everyone's perspective, everyone's situation. Even though Peter probably knew what was right and Paul and Barnabas knew what was right, they still considered, they listened to the perspective of the people on the other side. They gave voice to them. They considered where they were coming from. And not only that, but in the resolution, even though they knew it's just Jesus, it's just grace, they didn't send that message, hey, Gentiles, it's just Jesus, don't worry about anything. They said, no, let's send to the Gentiles that they, that they should believe in Jesus. That's the main thing. But we want to see them also not eat food sacrificed to idols. We want them to flee from sexual immorality, and we don't want them to eat food that's um, strangled or whatever. They added some things which are very similar to the works of the law, which were very important to the Jewish people. And so I think in writing those things in, not so that you do these things, you'll experience salvation, but if you experience salvation, these will be some things you'll begin to walk in. These will be some good first steps for you as you start to follow Jesus. It was very considerate of them because that probably made the whole resolution a lot easier for those who were struggling with the idea of circumcision not being important. There was compromise. And some of you guys are so right and wrong. So this is what the Bible says and you're wrong that it's really hard for anybody to have any kind of resolution with you because you're not very considerate. You make the word of God a priority and that's good, but you're not very considerate. And sometimes people need some baby steps. One time in the Old Testament, there was a guy who... Um, he came to Elijah, and he was a leper from, from a, a, a neighboring nation, and, and Elijah was like, go wash in the river, and he's like, I don't want to wash in that nasty river, and he's like, whatever, don't do it then, and <laughs> it's kind of a funny story, and the guy, finally, one of his servants come up to him, he's like, if he told you to do something hard, he would have done it. He just, just said, go wash in the river, just try it, so he's like, okay, he goes to wash in the river, bam, he's clean as can be, and he comes back to uh, Elijah, and he's like, Elijah. Thank you so much. I cannot believe this. He said, now when I go back to my country, we have this, we worship this other God. We don't worship your God. And, and I'm, I, don't, I don't quite know what to do, but maybe can I take some of the dirt from here? And so I'll take the dirt and whenever we're supposed to worship this other God, I'll put down the dirt from Israel and then I'll kneel on that dirt and, the, and then I'll be worshiping the, the God of Israel, even though I'm kind of worshiping this other God. But at the dirt, And you know what Elijah said to him? Sounds good, man. <laughs> Sounds good. Go for that. Elijah didn't say to him, that makes no sense at all, man. It's time for you to stand up if you want to be. Hey, let me tell you about these guys, you know, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they weren't around yet, but um, I'm prophets, so I know. But you know, like, he didn't solve his theology. He didn't clean up all his mess. He just said, that's a good step, man. That is not where you should end up, <laughs> but that might be a good place to start. He just said, go for it, man. So the guy takes his dirt and he goes and does whatever. And I don't know what happened. We don't know anymore of his story. But some of you, uh, the conflict, you're just so Pharisee. You're, you just stand up and you cut. And you cut. And you don't realize you're cutting, but you're cutting. And you, you've got to settle it down. You've got to become considerate. Yes, the word of God needs to be a priority. 
Absolutely. But sometimes it takes people a little while to get get there. And guess what? It took you a while too. God solve it considerately. And they did that. And what I love is they didn't just consider all those perspectives and in the resolution actually write it in a way that was very considerate. But then they considered all of the people around, not just in Jerusalem, but Judea, Antioch, and they commissioned two guys, Judas and Silas, to go and bring the resolution to all of the people that experienced the conflict. I love that. They considered the people who were not around. They considered the people who might have possibly been affected by the conflict and reached out to them as well. And that's the, that's the role that Christ has given to all of us. We, we have experienced, as mankind, a conflict with God. We are at enmity with God. We are God's enemies. When God was showering us with love, we took our fists and we clenched it at him. We were the ones who, our sin put him on the cross. We, We were the ones who rejected him and spit on him and tore out his beard and and beat him. It was our sin that yelled crucified louder than any of the mob that day. We were in conflict with God, but he has come and he died and now we are at peace with God because of what Jesus has done. But there are so many people still in our world that are affected by sin and death that don't know the peace they can have with God. And so we are the the Silas, we are the Judas that that have experienced resolution. We found the resolution with God and we're sent into this world to go and carry this message. Hey, you can be in resolution with God. You can have peace with God. God did something to make it possible for you who are on the outside to come in, to find the kind of peace you've been longing for. Because there isn't a person in this world that's not shadowed by the wage of sin and death. We've all felt it. We all experience it. And so it's important that, that, we, that we acknowledge this conflict early. It's important that we address it fully. We make God's word a priority. And then we solve it considerately. And that's how they dealt with conflict. That's how they dealt with this in their situation. And that's how we can deal with it in our situation. But it's so important to not forget that there are people affected by your conflict that are not just the people in the conflict. And to consider them as well. One of the ways we're trying to live this out um, as pastors at Living Streams, they made, they made me the lead pastor. Sorry. I didn't even know this was in there. That's nice. I'll take advantage of that. They made me the lead pastor at Living Streams, so I, I, get to, I get to make people do things now. And, and lead pastor, so the first thing is like, okay, if I'm the lead pastor, then I get to make other pastors do whatever I want them to do. And so I did. Last Tuesday, all the pastors came to our pastors meeting, and I walked around and I handed each one of them a bus pass. <laughs> and I said, for our meeting today, we're going to go ride the bus. We're going to get on the bus, and they were like, how? some of them were like, what, what, do we, what do you do with the thing on the bus? Because they never ridden a bus before. 
And I just was like, well, you know, there's a lot of people in our world that this is a part of their routine. They get on the bus every day, and, and they're, they're riding their buses all around our church every day. This bus stop, that bus stop, they just drive. And, and I just think it would be good for us to get to know them. Some beautiful people. And maybe, maybe we'll meet someone who's got a little bit of conflict in their life. Maybe someone who doesn't have peace with God or peace with the world or, or peace with themselves. And we can be someone who brings the resolution of God, the righteousness of God. We can go and find wrong things and make them right. That's what I feel like the righteousness of God that we long for in our lives, it's so much more than just us stepping outside and, and being in a place where, yes, I'm righteous. I've, I've made it to righteous, righteousness. When, when God looks at a person and, and, and calls them righteous, they're the kind of person who has, who has experienced some righteousness, but instead of staying in that spot, they're now going into the world looking for some sort of wrong or unrighteousness that they can begin to make right. That's what the church has got to figure out. We are not called to step away and, and be right. We're called to take the right that God has given us and begin to make the wrong places right, to bring justice in our world. That's what Jesus did. That's what we can do. But so we get on the bus and, and, and we're just going in there and I went with our, our, our woman's pastor. She's, I think, 64, 65 years old. Um, really sweet lady, super powerful in the Lord, um, educated in the, in the scriptures and all those things. So we're going there and part of my job is like, I'm like, you know, mad dogging everybody, making sure they don't mess with her. But uh, but also, we, you know, we're sitting separate, and she's talking to people. And it was so funny because when we, when we got to the end and we got across the street to walk back, she was like, it's so amazing. People have been so nice to me. Like, when I talk to them, they'll talk to me. And I was like, Faith, you're like the most unintimidating person they've ever seen in their lives, you know? Uh, but anyways, um, just being on there and just meeting all these people and all different kinds of people on the bus, you know? People that are, that are riding the bus because they, they, they have to, people who are riding the bus because they're lost, <laughs> people who just riding the bus is part of the routine. And uh, I got to meet some of these guys and man, it was just so rich to talk to them. And I was just asking them questions about who they were, and some of them I got to share the Lord with, some of them I just got to be interested in. And it was so amazing as I sat there, and I was sharing with the guys just earlier, um, I fell in love with people. I was literally left that bus, and there's a couple guys. One of the guys' name was K.O. That's what he called himself. And he was a rough-looking guy, and his, his buddy named Little, who was even rougher, he wasn't that little, um, they were sitting there and we were talking to them and they were kind of just, you know, they were constantly looking at me like, why is this guy asking me so many questions? But I was just interested in him. I was asking about his dreams. He was like, well, you know, I'd, I got dreams. He, he dreamed of like starting a hot dog stand and turn it into a restaurant someday. And, and we started talking about some of, you know, where he came from. He's like, oh, I was in LA and I got into some trouble. So I came out here. I said, so no trouble out here? He's like, no, I got a little trouble here too. <laughs> And I was just talking to him about how Jesus has been a help in my life to kind of keep me on the straight path so I don't end up in the ditch. And he was like, yeah, he said, and, and he's just, he's talking to me now. He's just telling me, I, I don't, I've never had a good example in my life. And I've noticed it because every time I get into a tough spot, like, I just, I find myself doing what I've seen done. And he said, I don't want to, but I literally have, I don't know what it looks like to go the other way. And then he gets off the bus and leaves. And I haven't stopped thinking about him. 
And I didn't give him a card. It was just like, literally, that was it. But I'm just thinking about him all the time. I want him so badly to be able to know the Father's love. I want him so badly to be able to rub shoulders with some guys at our church that are doing life well so we can have some good examples. I want him to know that he is not far off at all. He's literally one tiny step away from peace with God. There's a whole world out there that is, that is in conflict and a whole world out there and sometimes in here that every time conflict has come, we've ignored it, ran away from it or turned away from it. And what happens is when we do that, we get locked in our immaturity. We get locked in our foolishness. And God's gonna keep bringing conflict into our lives because he wants us to grow, to build, to mature. As iron sharpens iron, conflict in this book of Acts in this first church actually was the opportunity for expansion and blessing for the people of God when they chose to turn into each other instead of away from each other. Division is easy, but it locks you in your immaturity. You gain nothing from the conflict when you divide. But when you choose to, to muster up that rough courage and turn into each other in the midst of conflict, what happens is you mature. You're built up. You're sharpened. And not only that, but the people who are watching, the people who are watching get to experience what's possible in their own conflict. We're gonna, we're gonna kind of close now and, and, and lead into a time of communion. Um, the guys can come forward and start passing it out as, as we prepare our hearts. Connection is hard but it's life-giving. Connection or loving our neighbors is what God requires and desires for us. Colossians 3 says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. As you get the cup and the bread, just hold on to it and we'll all take it together at the end and just take a moment of quiet before the Lord. Thinking about maybe some of the conflict in your life, some of the broken relationships, you can hand those to the Lord. John 17, Jesus prayed a prayer that if he didn't pray it, I would be very uncomfortable saying it. He prayed this right before he went to the cross. He said to his father, my prayer is not for these alone, these disciples alone, but I'm also praying for those who believe in me through their message, which is us. I pray, Lord, that all of them may be one, just as you and I are one. 
I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus here is saying basically that the relationship that he and the Father have, that trinity that kind of blows our minds that we can't quite grasp, that unity between God the Father and God the Son, that perfect fellowship, harmony. Jesus is saying, Father, I pray that they will be able to experience that with us, that they would be brought into the same communion that we have had from the beginning. That these will not be our servants, but they will be our friends. And that they will be one with us like we are one. I and them and you and me. Now obviously God is God and we are not. But in this prayer, Jesus is wanting us to understand that, that that's not the way he's, he's not worried about that hierarchy stuff. He wants to be one with us even as he and the Father are one. And he wants us to be one with each other in that same way. And ultimately, so that the world will know that you sent me and you have loved them as you have loved me. And the very next day, he died on a cross. His body was broken, his blood was shed all so that we could enter into this oneness. So that his spirit could come live within us and lead us into all unity. And so, Lord Jesus, we take this bread and we remember you. We remember your broken body. We remember that you handed it even to Judas because you wanted him to find his way in. And now you've handed it to us and all of us are like Judas, Lord. We've betrayed you many times. But we pray that as we take this bread today that we would be one with you and we would learn to forgive others and be one with them. Lord, bring healing, bring resolution into our lives. I pray, let's take the bread. Lord Jesus, we take this cup and we remember your blood that was shed, your cleansing, perfect blood that can wash away even the thickest stain. And we do pray that you would forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for being so rigid, for being condemning or judgmental. Forgive us for being lackadaisical or full of compromise when it comes to righteousness and sin. And as your blood comes into our lives, Lord, I pray that it would cleanse us and it would give us the love and courage to forgive others as well. In Jesus' name, let's take the cup.
Well, in the end, um, when we're dismissed, we have a, there's a prayer room over there that you can go get prayer. If you have some conflict or whatever that you want to bring to the Lord, there's a group that would love to pray for you. But let's all stand as we close in a song.